guys, welcome back to Revive School. It, it's kind of bittersweet, to be honest. We're wrapping up another book of the Bible. Uh, there's 66 books of the Bible. You've got 39 found in the Old Testament, and then you have 27 found in the New Testament. And here we are hanging out in a, in a section called uh, the General Letters, the General Epistles. We've gone through the book of Hebrews. We've gone through the book of James. We've gone through you know, the first letter that Peter wrote to a group of believers that are dispersed all over Asia Minor. Now we're in the second letter. Peter is now writing to the same group of people. And yet it was so interesting is the first book, Kevin, was really ultimately about what? About uh, persecution. Yeah, persecution and how to live, how to deal with this suffering physically. Right? That's really kind of what it is. And in a weird way, the second book is how to deal with it emotionally and mentally. And what I mean by that is how do you deal with these false teachers that are communicating things and yet you have to hold firm to this whole thing. Like that's really kind of what it is. And, and it's, it's really interesting to me because in 1 Peter 5.12, if you'll go there, Kevin, I want to again encourage you with why did Peter write this book? In 1 Peter 5, 12, okay, he says, I've written you this brief letter. Remember his buddy Silas Salvanus, who's writing this out as, as Peter tells him. He said, I'm written, I've written this to you to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Take your stand in it. So as you're going through stuff, suffering, embrace the grace of God and stand firm. Like you can do this. Now, in 2 Peter 3, 1, here it is again, but now here he states a different purpose in some regards. He says, look, dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you in both letters. He says, I want to develop a genuine understanding with a reminder. So here he wants this letter, you guys, to serve as a reminder so that you can remember, look at this in verse 2, the words previously spoken by the holy prophets. And the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. So basically, the purpose of Second Peter 3, Kevin, is to go back so that people remember all that has been written about the Lord and uh, our Savior. Why? Because of the false teachers. I need you to hold firm to the foundation that's already been established based on the, uh, on the apostles and the prophets. So in other words, he's trying to refresh the reader's memories of all that they've been taught. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like, and that sounds like the Old Testament <laughs> in some regards, right? Like, please don't forget. Please don't go away to the, to the idols and the false worshiping. I mean, that's kind of what he's saying, right? Do not forget the way or what we have said, the master of truth. Don't forget the truth that comes through Christ. Don't forget this, you guys. I need you to remember all that the prophets have talked about and all that the apostles have communicated. So here's what he says in verse three. First, here we go again. Okay, just so you know, he begins to describe the false teachers again. First, be aware of this. Scoffers, which Kevin, uh, I, I love this description. This actually makes me laugh. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff. Kevin, what's the definition of a scoff, Kevin? Scoffing. Scoffing. A person who scoffs. So first of all, be aware of these people that ridicule the truth. They're living according to their own desires. And then in verse four, and by the way, this is going to take place, just so you know, in the last days. Keep going if you don't mind, Kevin. Verse four, it says, and, and here's what they say. Here's how you know there's a mockery. They say, hey, where's the promise of his coming? Ha, when's Jesus coming back for real? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. And so in other words, there's this constant like, um, yeah, right, right. They have this, I don't, I don't actually believe you. 
And in fact, it says in verse five, they will willfully ignore this long ago. The heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. So here, there's a characteristic before we begin to unpack verse five and verse six. There's a characteristic, Kevin, what it is. They, they ignore the truth. That's what you see. They ignore the truth. So here's what I want to do. Okay. I want to walk through, um, a couple of the characteristics in here. Uh, I want to walk through, you know how we described um, some of the characteristics of the false teachers yesterday, right? We went through that a little bit about how uh, they have secretive uh, ways of drawing people in. They clearly deny Christ and then judgment and destruction is coming to them and they're pulling themselves away from the body, correct? Well, those are marks of a teacher. Here's what I would say. Here are marks of a false prophet and I'll even say a false teacher. I want to keep going there for a little bit. If you'll go back, I want to go back just a ways, Kevin, okay? Uh, and can you go to 2 verse 1? In Second uh, Peter 2 verse 1, uh, I just, again, I think this is important to understand. They will teach, okay? They're going to teach destructive uh, heresies, okay? Then if you go to 2, 1 again, Right there we're at, they're going to clearly, and we, again, we've already said this, they're going to deny Christ. Three is that in 2.2, two, two, you will see that there will be blasphemies, blasphemies. They will clearly blaspheme the truth. Then you get into four, number four, if you go to 2.2 two and uh, verse three, Kevin, they have what's called a way of twisting scripture. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what Satan did when he tried to, uh, you know, lure Jesus away from the truth? Some other marks that you'll see here, and I like what John MacArthur writes here, is that you will see in verse 3 and in verse 14, I mean, there's clearly a covetous. They, they want more. They have eyes full of adultery. They're always looking for sin, Un- seducing unstable people. They, they, they want more. Their hearts have been trained in greed. Uh, in verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, you'll see this as well. Uh, you'll see that they are self-willed. Everything's driven because of themselves. Then it continues on. You're going to see that clearly in verse 10 and verse 14, they're immoral. You're going to see in verses 12 and verse 14, they are wicked. This is kind of an interesting perspective. Um, can you go to verse 15 for me? Second Peter 2, verse 15. They've gone astray by abandoning the straight path, right? Um, I'm just going to put they've abandoned the straight path. And then how does it all tie into today? What you're going to see is, and you've got to watch this as this builds, if you go to 2 Peter 3, verse 4, you will see that they will laugh and mock uh, at Christ's second coming. All of these should build towards this. You will see that false teachers will literally laugh at the return of Christ. Why do I put this down? Man, I'm telling you guys, as we get into more and more, especially as you get into the book of Jude, we're going to have to, what the scripture says, contend for our faith. And here's the crazy part is the battle is going to come within the quote unquote church. Because you're going to have these false teachers that are clearly saying they're a part of the church, but their message is not of Christ. You know, we have these Unitarian churches today. You know that, right? And they call it a Unitarian church. Kevin, do you have any idea... Sometimes what Unitarian churches stand for? 
If you take a broad stroke at this thing. Whatever way is an okay way. Yeah, come on, come on, guys, anything. We're all unified. There's multiple ways. But Kevin, there's a label of church. So when I say it's in the church, it's these people that have taken these labels and you have to start calling them out and saying, this is not of the Lord. And so again, what does Peter say in his last chapter, in his last letter to those that are in Asia Minor? He says, guys, here's the purpose of this, uh, of the, I was going to say the purpose of this email. <laughs> the purpose of his email is like, look, I want you to remember the truth. Because once you remember the truth, and you remember, you guys, we've always done this. You start with the truth in order to see that this thing is false. And so he says, look, in verse 5, they're going to willfully ignore this truth. Long ago in the heavens, the first heaven, the second heaven, or the third heaven. We got into that, right? First heaven means right here. Second heaven, Kevin? Out there. Did you say out there? Yeah. Kevin, give me a little bit more than that. Atmosphere. <laughs> okay, like what would be in the atmosphere? Uh, stars, moon. That's awesome. That's second heaven. Yeah, it's out there. It's out there. It's outside. Genius, Kevin. Not in here. And then the third heaven, Rich, where's the third heaven? It's even further out. Yeah, it's just way out there. Way. I mean, it's clearly where the hand of God is. It's where God is and Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? This is what we're talking about. Long ago, the heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. Through these waters, the world of that time perished when it flooded. So, Kevin, what do we have another reference to? The flood. The flood. He's, he kind of likes the flood. Yeah, man, it, it's like, look, this really talks about judgment. <laughs> it's just out there. Kevin, that was awesome, by the way. So is the flood. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire by the same word being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. All right, so we have had one massive destruction on the earth, which was at the flood, correct? And then you have the rainbow, the rainbow which symbolizes, I'm going to get there. The rainbow symbolizes God's promise that he's not going to destroy all of mankind, right? Clearly, that's what he's talking about. But now he says in 2 Peter 3, he says, hey, guys, but I want you to understand something. There is one more day of judgment coming. And he said, you had water at the beginning that brought about destruction. But now what does he say? But now it's going to come through fire. All the, the present heavens and the earth are held in store by fire for the same word being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. He says, their friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord doesn't delay his promise. Just so you have an understanding, we're clearly talking about the end time events. And he's talking about, look, destruction is coming. Judgment is coming to, yes, the false teachers, to those that are against the truth. Not just false teachers, but anybody that doesn't believe. And he doesn't delay his promise. It's still coming. As some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So, look, he doesn't want to bring about judgment against mankind. I think that's a fair statement. He wants as many people to embrace the truth. He wants as many as people as he can to come to John 14, 6 and embrace Jesus as the way, the truth and life. And clearly through Christ, he says, look, I am the answer. Come to Christ in order to get access to the Father. He doesn't want anybody to perish. In fact, he wants all to repent. But at some point, you guys, even though it seems like it's far, far away, oh, the end times will never happen. The scripture then is pretty clear. 
He says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So even though it seems like he says, remember this, he says a thousand in verse eight, when one with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. In other words, in order, even though it feels like we'll never see it in our lifetime, right? That's what, that's what most people think, Kevin. Most people think it'll never happen. But then you're all of a sudden the scripture says, yeah, but it's going to come just like that. He's going to just show up like a thief. The day of the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. You will see the day of the Lord take place. And he says, until that day comes, please repent and turn to me. In the water, you had the, the, Noah, the Noah's Ark. There's a chance that he was, this is a warning. Hey guys, by the way, you should probably turn to him. <laughs> but he doesn't. And I want you to use the water illustration as an example. It's going to happen again. But this time you have an out. This time your out is, is you turn to the Lord in repentance. It's called the day of the Lord. I just kind of wanted to pray through this. And as I was talking and praying through this with, with the Lord, he said, just, just draw this out again, Kyle. Even though it's not the Old Testament, which is, Kevin, what we did all the time. We drew out in the Old Testament what this looks like. But look, a, a false teacher, a false prophet, you know what he'll say? It'll never happen. The day of the Lord will never happen. Why? Because the things that are of Satan, Satan is going to want to steal, kill, and destroy. And he doesn't want people to turn to the Lord. So what does he do? Yeah, don't worry about it. Just stay comfortable. Get your, you're fine. And in fact, they'll laugh at the return of Christ. But a true teacher will get you ready for his return. I mean, look, here's the reality. I, I kind of feel like I should go through all of the Old Testament for, for a reason, but I, I won't. But just let's just do this. Let's just say, Kevin, this is zero. Okay, zero A.D. <laughs> and then in the process, you have Christ and Christ came, let's just say 32 to 33, right? And in this, this is where Jesus experienced death on the cross. And then in this, Kevin, uh, Jesus then actually he dies, right? He's buried and then he goes up to he goes up to heaven. Third heaven. He goes up to somewhere up there. That was very Kevin-ish right there. Right there. I just did. Yeah, he he's in. He is rich. He is in third heaven. And Jesus says in Acts, hey, look, the way that I went up is the way that I am what coming down. And so when he comes down, let me just draw this out like just a little bit bigger picture here. How do we know when he's going to come down? Well, Scripture says at some point there is going to be seven years of tribulation. Okay, seven years of tribulation. And at three and a half years, let me just say this, the seven years. What this implies is that there will be what's called the Antichrist. This individual, we don't know who it is. He will establish uh, a peace agreement with so many nations. And these so many nations are going to have a peace agreement, Kevin, with what country? Israel. Israel. So there will be peace with Israel. As there peace is, there's peace with Israel. You're going to see three and a half years of, man, that was a good deal. Man, this is looking good. But then all of a sudden... In there, you will actually see the temple in Jerusalem. Look, I don't understand how and when this is going to happen. Because right now, there's Al-Asqa Mosque. There's the Dome of the Rock. And it is literally on the Temple Mount. Okay? Here's the crazy thing. The United Nations actually voted and said there was never a Temple Mount. And yet, crazy enough, along that wall of the Western Wall, here you have the Jews worshiping God. And then up on top, you have the Muslims worshiping Allah. 
You have a crazy chaos that's taking place. And then somewhere in there, whether the Alaska Mosque and the Dome of the Rock is destroyed, or I don't understand this, but there will be a third temple built. The first temple is going to be what? It was Solomon. Uh, yeah, Solomon's temple. Second one would be considered Herod's temple or Zerubbabel's temple. Okay, those have been destroyed in order for the day of the Lord to take place. You're going to see seven years of, quote unquote, peace halfway through this. There's going to be an individual, a guy, Antichrist, and he's going to put himself in the temple. He's going to declare and he's going to actually, uh, I think the terminology is desecrate the temple by saying, I'm God. And then that's going to create for the next three and a half years, all hell. And there are these seven years, Kevin, what do we ultimately call these seven years? Tribulation. Tribulation. So when we're talking about in 2 Peter 3, I don't really want to miss this. It says that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. Absolutely true. But the scripture does say that the day of the Lord, we can at least use a gauge, is not going to happen until at least the seven years have taken place in the tribulation. Would everybody agree with this? Yes. Joey, how about you? You agree? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So we'll make sure. Joey, glad you're here, by the way. So you have these seven years of tribulation. Okay, so in all of this, this is where it gets really, really interesting. You have these these views from the church that says, well, I'm going to be raptured out before the tribulation begins. Okay, that that's called a pre-trib rapture view, meaning before the peace agreement happens, I'm out of here. There's other views. It's called the mid-trib view that says, hey, by the way, in the middle of the seven years, okay, we're going to be raptured out before the last three and a half years, because that's really when all hell breaks out. Then you have what's called the post-trib view, uh, not, not a newspaper, but a post-trib, okay, which says after the seven years of tribulation, then the church will be removed. There's a pre-trib, a, a mid-trib, and a post-trib. But all of these things, you guys, in this need to take place, Kevin, before what needs to occur? Day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And so the day of the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn, be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Now, just so you know, this day of the Lord description, uh, it's not just found in 2 Peter. And in fact, at least 19 times, you ready for this one, Kevin? Can you go to Obadiah? I thought you'd get excited, Rich. Can you go to Obadiah verse 15 for me? Um, 19 times, at least minimum in the Old Testament, you will see language of the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations as you have done. So it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your head. So you can imagine at the day of the Lord, just so you know, there's going to be a big old Kevin. I'm writing it up here. A big old battle. It's called Jesus first everyone. <laughs> and it's going to come just just like that. Uh, another reference is, can we go to Joel? Joel 1 verse 15. In fact, there's multiple references in the book of Joel. Well, because of that day, for the day of the Lord is near. These are the minor prophets, which we'll get into in a little bit and will come as a devastation from the Almighty. So look, this devastation, when Jesus comes and leaves third heaven, right, comes here on earth. Kevin, where's he going to come on earth? Do you remember this? He's going to come on the Mount of Olives and split it. And then where does he go? To the temple. Yes, but somewhere in there, you also have to throw in the Valley uh, Valley of Armageddon, correct? You're going to see the gathering of the nations. And so you're going to see this crazy devastation of all of these nations that Jesus comes and enters into a battle. If you want to keep going into Joel 1, Kevin, that was a that was a good answer. I just the timing was off for me. Sorry. Joel 2 verse 1. 
Uh, same thing, same mentality. Joel 2, verse 1, Minor Prophets is speaking into this. Blow the horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, the Minor Prophet says, it's near. But we know, you guys, that all of this is going to be taking place somewhere once this tribulation has unfolded. Joel 2, verse 11, Scripture says this, The Lord raises His voice in the presence of His army. His camp is very large. Those who carry out His command are powerful. Indeed, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? You think the three and a half years is going to be bad? Wait till the day of the Lord unfolds. Whew! One more here, Kevin. Let's just keep going with Joel. In fact, I got a couple more. Joel 2, verse 31. I'm trying to show you an image, you guys. It's not like Peter just came up with this topic. The minor prophets talk about this consistently. It says, the sun will be turned to darkness and the sun, the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day of the Lord comes. These are some of the signs that you're going to see unfold. And then in Joel 3, verse 14, I hope and see you see this imagery that's taking place. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. If you would go to Amos 5.18, I think you'll begin to see and hear the heartbeat behind all this. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. Now you got to understand the audience that he's talking to. But the point is, is that the day of the Lord, for those that are not on the quote unquote right side with the Lord, and I'm not talking politically, <laughs> but those that don't know him, it will be darkness and not light. And you see this in Zephaniah. You see this in Ezekiel. You see this in Malachi. You see this in Isaiah you see that the Lord is talking very clearly the day of the Lord is coming. And so when Peter brings forth these illustrations, and in fact, just as an image, can you go to, uh, can you go to Acts 2, Kevin, verse 20? Acts 2, verse 20. Uh, you have Peter giving a message at Pentecost. And he says the same thing that we just referenced in Joel. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great remarkable day of the Lord. Peter is referencing it then. And guess what? He references it in his letter as well. It's clearly an important thing to get ready for. Judgment is coming. Let's make sure we're not on the wrong side of judgment. First Thessalonians 5.2. First Thessalonians 5.2. This day of the Lord, you guys, it's going to come like a thief. In fact, it says this. Verse Thessalonians 5, 2, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. You know what that means? You better be ready because who's prepared for a thief to come at night, right? Even if you have all of the rings and all of the, uh, you know, the video cameras, even if you have everything ready, you're still never ready. Unless you're like that guy that I just saw in video. It was awesome. Three guys came to his house at like nine at night. Did you see this, Rich? He just stole all his cameras? No, he came, they came into the house and he beat up all three of them. It was amazing. That dude is ready. <laughs> like, that's the posture I want to be. Hi-ya! You know, like, oh, Lord. He's going to fight him? Not- I don't know. So here's the point. Like, we got to be ready. Second Thessalonians, Kevin, 2-2. Two, two. Second Thessalonians 2-2. Two, two. This is the image. It's going to come just like that. Second Thessalonians 2-2. Two, two. Scripture says this. Uh, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter as if from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. I love this because some people will have said, we already missed it. Uh, not so much. 
But people communicate false truth, you guys. I want to tell you, his return has not happened and we need to be ready for it. And we need to be ready for it because it's very, very real. He says in verse 11, I'm back in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be, look at this, in holy conduct and godliness. In other words, I need you to be ready for this. He continues on in verse 12, as you wait for and earnestly desiring, desire the coming of the day of God. Look at that. Can you believe it? After all we just heard, he says, you got to get ready for it and you should want to get ready for it because of your holy. And what does it say, Kevin, in verse 11? This this conduct must, this godliness must reflect him. Because here's the deal. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by being ready. It says the heavens will be on fire and be dissolved because of it and the elements will melt with the heat. Here's what blows my mind. Oh, I hope I'm not here for the end times. That's like many mouths, you guys. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't think that will. But people say that because it's going to be too much. What does Peter say? He says, Kevin, the opposite. Wait for it and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. When's the last time you woke up and said, man, I hope it's, it's coming today. If you're ready, you have nothing to fear. Verse 13, the scripture says, but based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Why do we want the day of the Lord to come? Because it's going to be way better than this. Therefore, verse 14, dear friends, while you wait for these things, while you wait for the day of the Lord, make every effort to be found at peace with Christ without spot or blemish. Also, regard the the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. So as you wait for him, Kevin, Talk about Jesus. Embrace your relationship with Jesus. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. (laughs) Just so you know, I love this. I love this. This is Peter who hung out with Jesus for three years at least. And he's talking about Paul. He's kind of pulling a sarcastic little, "Hmm." watch in verse 16. He says, Paul, he speaks about these things in all of his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. I don't understand Paul's writings. Peter says, I can't really figure this guy out. Hey, man, I knew I liked Peter. (laughs) The untaught (laughs) and the unstable twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. If you're not careful, the false teachers will twist the truth in order to work for themselves. Even though it's hard to understand with Paul, go after it and stick to the truth. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, since you know the day of the Lord is coming, Be on your guard so that you're not led away by these false prophets, these false teachers, by the air of lawless people and fall from your own stability. You have stability in the Lord. Be on guard. And then finally, in verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't just be end time squatters. (laughs) I've got like I'm telling you, you should see I've got like 40 cans of cream corn. I have got 48 bottles of water. I have got you. Let me tell you this. I have more uh, Charmin rolls of toilet paper. I'm ready. I don't just sit there waiting for the end of end of the times. Like grow in the Lord in this whole process. Get ready. By continuing to pursue him. And you pursue the master of truth. You continue to get to know him because as it continues to get closer to the end, you're going to have more and more false teachers that are going to pop up. And Peter just closes this out and he says, To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.
Man, Peter doesn't hold back, does he? Church, we got to get ready. And we got to earnestly wait and desire for his coming. Because if you're ready, you should be excited. Have a great day, guys. And what do you know? We're going to begin our 50th book tomorrow. First John. Thanks.